Hey everyone, today I'm joined by Colby Roy. Today we're going to be talking about the rise and fall of the five New York Mafia families. In this video, me and Colby talk about the high-ranking mobsters that put a dent in the Mafia, such as Greg Scarpa, Anthony Casso, Angelo Ruggiero, Sammy the Bull, and many others. If you want to get more videos like this, please hit subscribe. And without further ado, let's get into this video. So basically for the past few decades, Adrian, it's kind of been a mix of things. Uh, first of all, way back when, when Cozen Ultra first started, there was not the technological advances that there is now, and especially when it comes to law enforcement. So really law enforcement uh, in the past couple decades has taken different measures to reach uh, the, the Cozen Ultra families and bringing them almost down to their knees. So you have things like undercover people uh, that the FBI sends in and uh, local police sends in, uh, undercover agents like Joe Pistone, uh, our good friend uh, Giovanni Rocco, obviously, uh, who infiltrated the DeCavalcante crime family of New Jersey most recently. And particularly stuff that, that, that brought down the mob uh, was the RICO statutes. And for those people who are very familiar with what that is, um, a lot of that uh, was heavily favored by people like Rudy Giuliani uh, once he really got the commission down. And then we can talk about things like, you know, wiretaps and bugs and stuff. So we talked about the bugs uh, in the Ravenite, the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club uh, during the John Gotti era. And of course, what happened with uh, Angelo Ruggiero, uh, who was a, a big player in the Gambino crime family, as you know, Adrian, uh, his bugs that they put in his house really alluded to him being a part of a big heroin ring that guys like Paul Castellano were probably not privy to at the time and would have made him very unhappy. So that type of evidence led to more and more evidence for the government to say, hey, you know what? We have evidence that Angelo Ruggiero, who's a well-known uh, person in the Gambino crime family, is talking about heroin rings with various members of the Gambino crime family. So now we have evidence to say, okay, we get a family involved in heroin. What else are they involved in? And it was sort of the same thing that 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 happened with uh, Paul Castellano, who, like I said, he got wiretapped, uh, he got bugged, all these other things. So basically, when it comes to how the government did it, the government's done it through uh, surveillance, they've done it through wiretaps, they've done it through uh, tapes uh, at the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club, like I said, the Ravenite Club, and just all that stuff combined. And also, Adrian, something I didn't mention too was cooperating witnesses and informants as well. So you got guys like Sammy Gravano that flipped, which some say probably was very influential at bringing down the Gambino crime family. You have guys who went to the witness protection program who also provided information like uh, Gas Pipe Casso uh, that we've talked about before. And just all those things, Adrian, sort of really played a role in bringing down Cosa Nostra as we know it now. Yeah, no, that's that's true, man. They're, they have so many avenues of different things that they use to... Oh, dude, you bet. <laughs> to bring these guys down you know you so bet, bro. so you know to go into you know specific instances you know we can talk about you know joe pistone you know going in and undercover and becoming a undercover agent you know in the bonanno crime family so you know what, what do you kind of know about that joe pistone is one of the most well-known undercover fbi agents in the history of this country uh he is uh, on par with people like uh, Jack Falcone, a.k.a. Jack Garcia, uh, who had a infiltration of a mafia family as well. Um, a very uh, 
a guy that we're well aware of, uh, Giovanni Rocco, more currently infiltrating the DeCavalcante crime family. So Joe Pistone infiltrated the Bonanno crime family, uh, which in turn led to a lesser extent uh, some of the downfall of the Colombo crime family as well. And Joe Pistone infiltrated the Bonanno crime family under the tutelage of Lefty Ruggiero which again, uh, Lefty Ruggiero uh, was a big player uh, in the Bonanno crime family, worked with guys uh, such as Sonny Black, uh, again, very well-known guy, and in a very feared family. Uh, the Bonanno crime family was no joke. Uh, if Joe Pistone would have made wrong moves or would have said something to, I guess, endanger himself, he could have ended up killed. Now, that operation uh, obviously is called uh, Operation Donnie Brasco. So basically, that is what that movie Donnie Brasco is based on, uh, the movie with Johnny Depp in it, all very accurate, uh, all very true. It's his story and his recollection of what he did to invade and infiltrate the Bonanno crime family. And then to give uh, kind of uh, another example, like I said, is Giovanni Rocco. So uh, Giovanni Rocco is a more recent instance uh, and, you know, when I say recent, you know, his infiltration was not really uh, super, super, super far back. And a lot of the recent developments that have happened with him was that he infiltrated the DeCavalcante crime family of New Jersey, put away guys like Charlie Stango, who was a well-known capo uh, in the crime family uh, at the time. And he put away several others uh, at the same time, too. And the operation with Giovanni Rocco obviously covered... Uh, places like uh, New Jersey, they had the, the DeCavalcante crime family at the time was also doing operations in Nevada um, and all sorts of things like that. So the government has definitely had a lot of success sending in undercover agents to infiltrate these crime families and to give us, the public, an insight as to how these families operate. Right. Yeah, they definitely do. So they have their ways, to, you know, to go about and get these guys. So, you know, even they have times where, you know, they got to pull out because things get too hectic or, you know, get too heated. So in Joe Pistone, uh, Joe Pistone's, uh, you know, situation, what, what, why that, why'd they pull him out? Well, it was, it, it was kind of the thing where it was basically just time. Uh, he, I feel like in my opinion, he got them what they wanted and they knew that the longer they would have kept him in, the fact is, at some point, so one thing about um, the wise guys and something that you'll read throughout history, Adrian, the more you get more into this, is that these guys can sense if somebody's a cop or not. These guys have that sort of street smart where they can pick up on if somebody is a cop or not. So I think after a while, even as much trust as Pistone had with those guys, it's my opinion that the longer the cops would have kept him in there, the more danger he would have been in. And the fact is, like I said, he already infiltrated a very, very powerful crime family. And then it's pretty much evidenced that when it comes to what Pistone did in infiltrating the Bonanno family, it gave law enforcement the confidence that they can send guys in and that these families can be infiltrated and can be taken down. All it takes at that time is just a knowledge of how these guys operate, their codes, uh, understanding the rackets that they're involved in. So in my opinion, uh, what the media says, what the reports say, and what I think might be a little bit different, but I think that they, I think they pulled him out because I think they initially got what they wanted and mm -hmm. they didn't want to put his life in any further danger. That's that, that's how I see that. That's my opinion of it. In the movie too, he was about to commit a murder. Was that, 
Was that accurate though? I don't they, know. That you know, I I didn't really hear. I I know it was in the movie, but I don't necessarily know um, if that's the accurate ending or not. But that's what the movie portrays, and we yeah. know how accurate movie endings can be. <laughs> right. Okay. So moving on to the Columbos, you know, the government used um, you know, you know, certain people to uh, you know kind of infiltrate the mob. This this family as well. You know, obviously they used the RICO Act. You know. Um, you know, Greg Scarpa as well was, uh, you know, a key player in, you know, bringing some of these people down. So kind of speak on what you know about him and how he took down this family or was a part of taking down a lot of these guys. So so when it comes to uh, Greg Scarpa, Greg, uh, Greg Scarpa had a lengthy relationship uh, with the FBI. And Greg Scarpa was also the guy who recruited people like Larry Mazza, uh, who we know very well, you and I, um, into the family now. Uh, this was one of the first, oh, trying to think of uh, uh, how to phrase this, um, there was books written about Greg Scarpa's relationship with the FBI at the time. That's how controversial this was. Uh, Peter Lance, in fact, wrote a book on Greg Scarpa's relationship with the FBI. And what the, what the perception was in the public at the time, who might have been following this case, was once they found out about this was, geez, you know, the FBI must have given Scarpa permission to commit violent acts. But at the same time, who better to give information about the Colombo crime family than a guy who had massive influence in that family? Um, just as a feared man in general, like people did business with Greg Scarpa because they feared him, not because they really liked him or respected him but they legitimately were afraid of this guy like greg scarpa was a very um was a very capable guy in terms of like violence and what he was willing to do to get his ends met so that was just one example of how the fbi used somebody inside that life to get them information to really really severely impact families like the colombo crime family which at one point were a very influential family in, in Cosa Nostra, and they're still around, you know, all these families, uh, Adrian, are, are still around to these days. They just operate, in my opinion, at a much smaller scale because they've been wounded by law enforcement, so to speak. As you got to figure back then, uh, Adrian, they didn't have the resources that they do nowadays. They had resources back then, but not like they do nowadays. So certain things weren't confirmed, but the general consensus is he was a very, very, very violent guy. No question about it. No question about it. And, you know, we've, we've talked with um, Larry about that too. Uh, he, like I said, he's just, he was, he was willing to be violent to make ends meet. And at the same time, he was playing um, the role of government cooperator and he was paying, uh, playing the role of uh, wise guy as well. So he had his, he had his hands in both of the cookie jars and that's what made him even more dangerous. He could get away with a lot of stuff because of that. Yeah, no, that's true, man. So, yep. uh, you know, he was definitely a key player in taking people down. But, uh, you know, moving on to the Gambino family, you know, they had, uh, <clears throat> you know, John Gotti. You know, he went to prison. You know, they had Sammy Gravano. You know, he flipped. You know, they got bugged. They bugged, uh, you know, at the beginning of the video, they were they bugged another member's house, which kind of started the whole commission case. So, you know, kind of talk about that, you know. John Gotti, Sammy the Bull, and, you know, the bugs that led up to everybody getting indicted. Well, something that became common for the government to use 
against the mob was wiretapping and or bugging the social clubs that the mob used to hang out with. Uh, some of the historians are now saying that the mob's biggest downfall was that they were always at the same location all the time. They were always at these social clubs and it was predictable where they would be. So all they would have to do, um, they being the government and the FBI, all that the government and the FBI would have to do was go to these social clubs when they're closed, break in in the middle of the night, put a bug in there and exit as if nothing happened. Now, that said, to to, to your question, Adrian, um, when it comes to uh, Gotti and the Gambino crime family's demise, um, some people say that Gotti's demise was his wanting of publicity, his fanfare with the media and the general public. To some extent, that's very true. But to another extent, Angelo Ruggiero had as much to bring down the Gambino family than Gotti himself did. Uh, Angelo Ruggiero was caught talking about a heroin ring that he and Gotti were involved in back in the day where under Paul Castellano's tutelage, that was supposed to be taboo, if you will. That wasn't acceptable. So that gave the FBI further evidence to put bugs in other wise guys' houses. And then, of course, like I said, uh, I know uh, Judge Gleason from being on my show. Uh, he wrote a whole book called uh, The Gotti Wars in which he discusses very, very detailed descriptions of how he got these guys via wiretaps and bugs and all this other stuff. And, of course, we all know, uh, those of us who have studied the mob long enough know about the Ravenite. We know about the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club. So, basically... Um, they brought down the Gambino crime family sort of the same way as they did a lot of these other guys. They found their hiding spots. They 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 utilized uh, informants and government witnesses. They had uh, people wearing wires. And then, of course, there was the big flip of the Gambino underboss, Sammy the Bull Gravano. And how did you how could you explain how they got him to flip? They got him to flip because he was upset about stuff that was said on tape about him that Gotti was saying about him. There was more to it. Um, but ultimately I think too, it was um, a business decision for him uh, as it is. I think a lot of people who cooperate no matter which side of the aisle that people might fall on, on uh, cooperating. Um, he was, he was really pissed and really infuriated about the stuff that was being said about him uh, on tapes that uh, the government had gotten. And what was interesting about uh, Sammy Gravano is right after Sammy Gravano got out of prison and was placed in the witness protection program, he got charged with being a part of a big drug ring, actually. So um, he took a while to get back into the legitimate life. But basically, um, long story short, the information that he gave the government about the inner workings of the Gambino crime family and Cosa Nostra in general really took a huge blow to that life. And but like I said, though, more importantly than that, if you factor in the wiretaps of 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 the social clubs, if you factor in Angelo Ruggiero, and if you factor in John Gotti himself on tape also getting pissed at certain people, the whole thing was just a disaster for them. Yeah, it really was. I mean, it was definitely the demise of you know, some of these families, you know, including that one. Big time, bro. And, yeah, so, you know, kind of moving on to the Lucchese family, you know, we, me and you talked off air, you know, kind of about Anthony Gaspipe Castle, you know, and 
what would you say that, you know, he was able to, you know, bring down, well, you know, kind of had a downfall with this family? Um, gas pipe was kind of a, a loose cannon. He was known as a very violent guy and he was just kind of the same way. You know, he was a, he was a cooperating witness. Um, and again, like I said, back then there was a pattern of cooperating witnesses. Uh, he was a cooperating witness. He provided, uh, information into the life that the government needed. Um, but like more importantly, um, something that was also an equally big blow to the Lucchese crime family uh, was, of course, uh, Tony Ducks uh, when the whole Mafia Commission uh, was put on blast by the RICO statutes. Uh, back then, of course, Tony Ducks was big uh, in the waste uh, industries, uh, in the garbage industries. You really couldn't do any type of operating like that back then in New York unless you went through the Lucchese crime family for things like that. So basically like with, with people like gas pipe and, you know, people like um, Tony ducks who, you know, Tony ducks might've had um, a somewhat different demise uh, in the big scheme of things, but it's kind of the same thing that we're talking about. It's wiretaps. It's using people within the mob itself to give information to the government for, potentially lesser sentences. Maybe sometimes they were even paid by the government. Maybe they were given sweetheart deals because of their uh, information. Um, it, it kind of all ties back into what we're talking about as to how they got wrapped up in this web where law enforcement was able to get them and get them where it hurts. Yeah, I'm sure. I mean, w with that, you know, uh, you know, like Tony Ducks, you were talking about, he, he ultimately went to prison then for this and, I think he ended up dying there, right? I think so. Yep. Yep. Okay. All right. Yeah. So, you know, moving on to the last family, uh, Genovese, you know, they kind of had, you know, I'm not too sure, you know, they were known to be a more uh, kind of like a stronger family, right? Or was that the Columbo? Well, so with uh, the Genovese family, so the Genovese family um, actually, believe it or not, in my opinion, Today, they're probably one of the more stronger mob families. But, but you know, even even they now know that, hey, if they're too loud about things, if they, if they don't keep things on the hush, you know, the government has more surveillance than ever. The government has, has ways of finding things out. And in my opinion, the government still uses undercover agents. They probably just don't talk about it um, as much. Now, as far as... Um, the Genovese family goes. Um, one of the big bugs uh, was the uh, Palma Boys Club in uh, East Harlem, uh, which was ran by Tony Salerno, uh, of all places. And that that club was actually bugged back in 1983. That was one of the bigger um, situations when it came to the Genovese crime family. And that was all part uh, of the RICO case at the time that was being built, was that they had all these high-level guys who they had on tape basically all admitting um, to the government unknowingly that, hey, we're part of this bigger organization um, and we're all involved in sort of the same rings and rackets. And this is what we do. And so, like I said, that was probably one of the bigger wire uh, wiring or bugging that you can discuss back then uh, when it came to the Genovese crime family was Tony Salerno's uh, East Harlem Club that was bugged at the time. And like I said, at that time, that was substantial evidence for the government as well. Yeah, I mean, 
so these wiretaps really are able to get them, you know what I mean? So, I mean, that's what the RICO law kind of made it more possible for them to, you know, get some proof and then they can, you know, get these tapes in there with, uh, without, you know, having, or they can be hidden and stuff, right? Rico's big thing was that they had Rudy Giuliani behind it. Um, Rudy Giuliani was the prosecutor at the time. Um, Rudy Giuliani's thing was that he felt as if the mob was a stain pretty much on the Italian American culture. And it was something where he didn't view it like certain people in the neighborhoods did. He viewed the mob as a, as like I said, a stain on the Italian American experience, a stain on American culture. And he was willing to go great lengths to put these guys away. And he was willing to go great lengths to just do whatever it took to, well, legally, of course he was doing whatever it took to just get these guys to a point where they had no other choice, but to say, Hey, you know, we either have to do things differently or we're going to have a bunch of cooperators, which really is what happened is that the government incentivized. And again, like I said, people have different views on informants, different views on cooperators. This is just me saying it like it is the government incentivized mob guys to turn on their fellow mob associates via, like I said, sweetheart deals um, being put in the witness protection program to keep their families safe. And sometimes, you know, even in the cases of, um, you know, the Philadelphia underboss, uh, Phil Linetti, you know, the mm-hmm. guy's got a different identity. He's been relocated. Um, nobody knows where he is. And he, like I said, he's been given a, pretty much a new life under a different name, different identity. And, you know, pretty much that is the story of really like what brought down the mob uh, over the past few decades. And when you fast forward to today, uh, Adrian, today is a totally different Cosa Nostra than it was before. As you and I have discussed, you know, even off camera, the, the conversations you and I have had, there's been many instances where we always say they don't do as much violence anymore. They're not really into the violence anymore. And that's because they know that that's really what the government's looking for. The government is really going to target those violent acts. They're going to target the murders. Uh, they're going to target the beatings. They're going to target things like that. But at the same time, you know, things are legalized now that are sort of impacting the mob's pocketbooks, if you will, um, or their paychecks or their checkbooks or banking accounts, whatever you call it. Um, it's it's it, it's impacted because now you know, sports betting, sports gambling is not really seen taboo in a lot of states anymore. And things like marijuana are legal in a lot of states and just things like that, that are cutting into their revenue streams. So they now have to do things differently and they now have to be careful too, because now people have cameras on their cell phones. Um, People have social media and kind of interestingly enough, you know, some of the some of the mob guys now use social media, which is kind of interesting because <laughs> the cops probably watch that very close, I'd imagine. Yeah, I would imagine so, too. I mean, you know, I mean, that's what makes it, everything so much easier, man. You post something on Facebook, you, they're like, oh, well, he's friends with these people, so they're associated, you know. So if there's something goes down with them, you, oh, well, now we know he's connected, you know. So that's why it's just it's, it's definitely a different time. It's harder to do crime. I mean it's just, it's just really weird, you know, but that's where things are. And that's just what we got to, 
you know, adapt to, I mean, as people, you know, I mean, even besides, you know, gangsters and mobsters doing criminal stuff, but, you know, we, I mean, we all adapt and we just keep moving. I mean, that we got the power of, you know, doing this, uh, you know, segment right now. So I do appreciate you coming on, um, you know, Colby, let the people know where they can find your, uh, you know, your YouTube channel. True crime with Colby Roy. That is my channel. You guys, uh, I, I, I don't just interview ex-mobsters, but I've interviewed quite a few of them. Um, and my channel really is something where I delve deep into the true crime history. But particularly for me, I do it from the law enforcement side. I do it from the criminal side. And I do it from the guys who cover it in the books. Guys like uh, Scott Bernstein that have been covering you know, true crime stuff forever, for a very, very, very long time. Guys like Doug Sentry. Uh, who, again, been covering various crime topics forever. So for me, on my channel, I get things from all perspectives. Um, feel free to check it out. And you guys, while we're on this, this would have never been possible without Adrian and his dedication to good content. Um, Adrian is somebody that's got a lot of heart and uh, a lot of soul and a true dedication to hard work. Uh, as far as finding out what the facts are. So this wouldn't have been possible without him, of course. What a gentleman. <laughs> no, I appreciate that, Colby, you know, and that's why I thought you'd be a perfect guest to have on here, man. So I do appreciate that. You know, all, you guys, I'll put a link in the description of this video for his channel and, you know, uh, whatever else he wants me to put in there, I'll put in there, Colby. I appreciate you coming on, man. Absolutely, brother. It's my pleasure. Well, what'd you guys think? Please comment a key takeaway that you got from this video. Share it with someone that you think will enjoy it. And please hit subscribe if you want to get more videos like this. And one thing I will mention, this was Colby Roy's last video that he did on YouTube. He just took a step back and, you know, wanted to focus on, you know, what he's got going on in life and, you know, pursue other routes. And, you know, we're always going to support him. He's always been so supportive to me. So I really appreciate him giving me his last video. You know, he's got talent. You know, he's really, whatever he puts his mind to, he's really going to do well and so you know if he ever comes out with anything you know I'll always support him and you guys can check him out Colby is definitely on the documentary that I did about the American Mafia you know it's a documentary series so I got him on a few episodes talking so you for sure will see him in there and if you want to support me and my brand I got t-shirts hoodies beanies and sweats at the end of this video I'll put a playlist of all my other Mafia videos that I've made thank you again so much for watching